0: Welcome to the History Extra podcast, fascinating historical conversations from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. Known as the Lady of the Mercians and Mother of the English, Ethelfled was a successful and celebrated ruler of the Mercian peoples in the early 10th century who enjoyed a period of political prosperity. Emily Briffitt spoke to Rebecca Hardy, an early medievalist and editor of an upcoming collection of essays on Aethelflaed, to uncover what this fascinating figure can tell us about contemporary definitions of power and the
3: complicated patchwork of early medieval kingdoms. Today we're going to be diving into the life and legacy of Ethelfled, who was known as the Lady of the Mercians, but also the mother of the English. So tell me, how did you first become interested in Ethelfled? Well In 2018, we saw celebrations
4: of 1,100 years following the death of Athelflaed across the country. Um, And there were notable events at Tamworth and Gloucester where Athelflaed had died and was buried. And these events were widely broadcast. And at this time as well, we saw the emergence of various reimaginings of Athelflaed in ceremonies, historical novels, sculpture, TV series. And it couldn't help but capture my interest because at the time I was researching women in 10th century England. I also started to hear Athelflaed referred to in different ways, warrior queen, mother of the English, like you mentioned, one of the greatest female leaders that history almost forgot. And so I really wanted to understand a little bit better what we already knew about this woman's life and reign because she was undoubtedly fascinating and significant. I also wanted to understand how her legacy had been shaped across time. And then the thing that was of particular interest to me is I wanted to find out a little bit more about her relationships with women as well as her relationship with key male figures in her family like King Alfred the Great and her brother Edward the Elder. So how did her relationship with women affect how we view her achievements and what we understand about the history of women in 10th century England?
3: Let's dive into it then. Who was Aethelflaed? So
4: Athelflaed was the leader of the Mercian people in the early 10th century. As I mentioned already, she was the daughter of Alfred the Great, King of the West Saxons, and Aelswith, um, a Mercian noblewoman. She was an absolutely fascinating figure and a highly successful leader. She was a military strategist, a persuasive and hard political negotiator. And she was also um, a key player in pushing back viking advances in the midlands territories and paving a way for the unity of the english kingdoms in subsequent rule and she was also a great visionary she saw um rulership english rulership extending into the north and planned for this um,
3: in the future so for listeners who might not be aware what sort of time frame are we talking about here
4: so, Athelflaed um, was born around 870 and she died in 918. And um, so she married Athelred of Mercia in 886 when she was about 16 years old. And that marked the point in which she became the Lady of the Mercians, one of the rulers of the Mercians, first jointly with her husband, and then as a sole leader of the Mercian people from nine eleven. So her reign spanned about thirty years, and really, we're examining the early tenth century um, when she was ruler of the Mercian people.
3: So, can you tell us a little bit more about her family and her life? Yeah. So. But the information that we have available to her, we know, as I mentioned already,
4: that she is the daughter of um, two very notable people Alfred the Great, who was king of the West Saxons, and um, Elswith, a Mercian noblewoman. And she was probably their oldest child. Athelflaed was descended from a long line of Mercian noblewomen. Her grandmother, Erdbur, born into the Mercian royal family, um, was perhaps a descendant of the great king Kilfrith king of Mercia during a period sometimes referred to as the Mercian supremacy, when Mercia was a great power. And then her mother was also a Mercian noblewoman. So it is still reasonable to suppose that Athelflaed was brought up in the West Saxon court, in her father's court, but her return to Mercia was going to come about with her marriage to the elderman Ethelred of Mercia. And this was in 886. And we can see that as sort of Athelflaed's return to her mother's seat. Now, Athelred was lord of the Mercians, so he wasn't their king. He had been placed in this position by King Alfred, by Athelflaed's father. And the marriage between Athelflaed and Athelred was a strategic alliance that maintained this connection between Wessex and Mercia. Her marriage made Athelflaed the lady, Lavdi of the Mercians. And as I mentioned, she ruled alongside her husband until his death in 911. And that is when she became the sole leader of the Mercian people. But there is actually evidence to suggest she was ruling alone for a little bit longer than that, because Athelred, according to some sources, appears to have suffered from a long illness preceding his death. Possibly as a result of battle wounds um, at an earlier time. And these may have rendered him unfit for office. So, a number of sources, including the Mercian Annals, celebrated Athelflaed's successful leadership, which suggests further that she really was widely accepted as a leader of the Mercians, both before and then again after her husband's death. And Athelred and Athelflaed had a daughter, Alfwyn, who was born around the year 888. charter evidence suggests that Athelflaed was including her daughter in matters of state during her lifetime. And then in 918, when Athelflaed died, Alfwyn took her mother's position as now the second Lady of the Mercians, And this is really an important moment because it is the only example in early medieval England of a woman inheriting rule from her mother. However, it was very short-lived. Alfwyn was deposed in 919 and she was taken into Wessex. Um, and at this point, Edward the Elder, that's Æthelflaed's brother, moved into Mercia and took on its rulership. And that was the start of the, let's say, assimilation of Mercia into West Saxon rule.
3: But I don't want to imply that that is the, the everything or the whole story. When people hear the name Æthelflaed, they might initially think warrior queen. So could you tell us more about her rulership and its context? Yeah, so
4: we've already said that Athelflaed had noble roots, and so she also had noble and noteworthy connections. But just exactly as you say, it really was Athelflaed's action on the battlefield. Her military strategy, her ability to negotiate political allegiances and fortify Mercian territories that have seen her celebrated from the 10th century onwards, even to modern day, And the 10th century is a time in which this really mattered, because it was a time of much political turbulence, as well as intense and ongoing surges of Viking attacks. Now, Mercia, and at this time we're thinking of the West Midlands, it was a region of very significant political borders, which had been shifting owing to Danish attack and settlement. So to the south of Mercia was Wessex. All along the eastern border was the Danelaw, the territory under Danish rule, um, with Viking settlement. To the west, the Welsh kingdoms, and it was only the southern Welsh kingdoms that seemed to have been under English overlordship at this time, and by that I mean under West Saxon overlordship, and then by default it seems Mercian. And then in the north was Northumbria, which was still settled by Scandinavian Vikings. And the Vikings had intended to conquer all of the kingdoms of England, but Wessex had put up a formidable opponent under King Alfred, and with Athelflaed, Mercia was going to become once again vital in pushing back the Vikings and paving a way for the subsequent unification of England. So by the end of Athelflaed's reign, what we see is that there were no fewer than 11 Midlands towns founded or reconstructed. And also there were multiple burrs, constructed, reclaimed or rebuilt from Roman ruins along the expanding Mersean borders. And by burrs, just a quick note, we mean fortified towns or burrs. In fact, the modern term burr derives from the old English word burr. And these burrs were supported by a substantial earthwork. They were acting as major royal fortifications. So together, Athelflad and Athelred led a number of successful campaigns against the Danes to reclaim territory across the Midlands. They restored and constructed major burrs at, for example, some familiar names, Hereford, um, Worcester, Shrewsbury and Chester. And now in some cases, these fortifications were direct responses to Viking attacks. And then in others, they were preemptory. They were canny manoeuvres. And then in 910, and in the years following Athelred's death the mercian register records Athelflad acting alone so between at least 910 and 917 we also see major burrs being established and these include in 913 Tamworth this was significant because it was the capital of the ancient kingdom of Mercia and also um, Athelflad established Edisbury and Warwick And then pushing into the Danelaw, part of Athelflaed's offensive against the Vikings, she takes Derby in 917. And a period that's really worth noting is that between the year 914 and 915, during an 18-month period, at least five forts and settlements were built. That's one mighty push in a short period of time against the Vikings. And it would have entailed, as we can imagine, major construction work, as well as the movement of warriors and a whole supply chain. So in other words, we see Athelflaed commanding and organising strong bands of warriors, along with engineers for essential constructions of um, things like roads and bridges for transporting people and weapons and food in order that these operations could be successful. I think another thing that's really apparent when we look at Athelflaed's life is that she knew to make tight networks and strong political allegiances part of her strategy. So Athelflaed and her brother Edward, Edward the Elder, cooperate closely with one another to mount these attacks on the Vikings on multiple fronts. Together they are being strategic and they're also developing military tactics learned from King Alfred. And then in 918, Athelflaed moves north. So under her, the Mercians take Leicester, apparently um, peacefully, and then the people of York pledge their allegiance to her. But Athelflaed died somewhat suddenly the same year before this expansion into the Northern Territories could be put into effect. But even even with everything considered, you might still say that what she achieved in her lifetime um, means that her reputation was certainly very well deserved.
2: We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com historyextra history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash history extra.
1: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, Need to hire? You need indeed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
3: Even with such a reputation, such such achievements, I think we are... Very familiar with the names of Alfred the Great and even to some extent Edward the Elder. Would you say that Ethelflaed has been somewhat eclipsed by her father and brother?
4: That is something that's often said, and I think there are various ways of looking at this question. And maybe the thing I would like to point out first is that the celebrations of 2018 across the sites in England certainly showed us that Athelflaed has not been forgotten in history, and nor is she likely to be. Her legacy seems to be quite secure. And so we want to look at this question of the eclipse of Athelflaed perhaps a little bit more closely. Um, Firstly, Athelflaed's life and reign are recorded in a number of sources. Um, the most important source for us is called the Mercian Register. This is a Mercian history covering the years 902 to 924. And it records for us the basic facts of Athelflaed's military operations in Mercia, her diplomatic negotiations in the north, and also her dealings in Wales. Um, it's also sometimes been called the Annals of Athelflaed because of the prominent role she plays in these records. Some have also even suggested that these annals may have been commissioned by Athelflaed. If this is the case, this would have been a significant step in her leadership programme to preserve Mercian history and learning. Her father, Alfred, kick-started this process of educational reforms in Wessex, and his vision for excellent rulership included the careful recording of historical events of a people's political and spiritual heritage. And to me... It seems he really advocated for the idea that cultural and political history plays a meaningful role in promoting a sense of the cohesive identity of a people. So Athelflaed would, therefore, be following in his footsteps by commissioning a Mersian history. We also have another source, Asser's Life of Alfred, and this affords us a brief glimpse into Athelflaed's childhood via her family history. Now, Asser was a Welsh monk working at Alfred's court He composed this account of Alfred's life in 893, um, which was, in fact, we note, after the point when Athelflad married Athelred and moved to the Mercian court. So his account is not a direct one, perhaps, but certainly an informed one. And then there are also a number of wills and charters bearing Athelflad's name. And we can also look to non-English sources for further mention of her, such as the Annals of Ulster, the Fragmentary Annals of Ireland, and also the Annals of Wales, which give a really favourable account and favourable portrait of Athelflaed. So on the one hand, we do have a number of sources recording Athelflaed's life and Reign, and many more besides that enrich our understanding of the political and cultural times in which she was living. But to come back to that question, were Athelflaed's achievements downplayed? One of the reasons this has been claimed is because of the way Athelflaed is treated in the early English chronicles. And these chronicles are a core set of annals, a historical account amounting to the earliest history written in the old English language. It's also been referred to as the Anglo-Saxon chronicle. And these annals, as I mentioned, seem to have originated under the impetus of Alfred the Great's educational reform. Now, the oldest surviving manuscript of the early English chronicle is known as the Parker Chronicle, or A-Version. It was started in the 9th century and was continued into the 11th century. In other words, it spans the years of Athelflaed's reign, and yet it makes only a very brief reference to her for the purpose of recording her death in 918. So concerning this, it states... Edward, that's Athelflad's brother, succeeded to all the lordship of the land of Mercia that had been given allegiance to Athelflad, his sister, and all the people who had settled in Mercia, both Danish and English, submitted to him. No further details are offered at this point of Athelflad's reign and achievements, and there is also no mention of Alfwyn, acceding to the office of Lady of the Mercians. So what's going on here? Now, the Parker Chronicle, we know, offers a West Saxon version of history. Here we see its aim to promote the legitimacy of the line of West Saxon kings, including Edward, of course, and the acceptance of these leaders by their subjects. Now, the Mersian Register gives us a clue as to why the memory of Athelflaed may have proved troublesome uh, by this account. So, in the Mersian Register, we read... In this year, 919, the daughter of Athelred, Lord of the Mercians, was deprived of all authority in Mercia. She was taken into Wessex three days before Christmas. Her name was Alfwyn. And we might speculate, even in this brief entry, that we hear something of a tone. It, it doesn't sound altogether pleased. Certainly, we can say that this entry suggests that Alfwyn was accepted as the next Mercian ruler before Edward, possibly even elected. By the Mercian people. Athelflaed and Alfwyn's legacy may have been a symbol or may have been used as a symbol of Mercia's power and ability to govern itself independently. And so, in order to suppress Mercian separator sentiments, the West Saxon annals kept mention of Athelflaed to the bare minimum to help create the impression of a smooth arc of West Saxon succession. We could go one f- step further and say the design of the Chronicler was not to discredit Athelflaed because she was a woman or because her achievements weren't significant. Rather, it presented a selective history that promoted a narrative of West Saxon legacy and legitimacy, eventually being treated as coterminous with English history. Athelflaed may have been at the wrong place at the wrong
3: time, For this account. So why exactly did the West Saxon perspective prevail here? We have these different accounts of the 10th
4: century. So one way of answering this question is to look at the manuscript history where these stories have actually been preserved. And there are nine different versions of the early English chronicle, each of which differs slightly. It's actually a highly complex network of texts. And these versions suggest to us that it was recopied many times and distributed widely. In comparison, the Mercian Register that we have available is a fragment text. It's a copy of the original, surviving in three versions, that are compiled within the early English Chronicles B, C and D texts. I mean, it's great that we have this fragment surviving. Without this, we would have much less information about Athelflaed. But what we see here then is a relationship between West Saxon political dominance and the distribution of a West Saxon version of historical events. They're, f- they're effectively following a similar art, but it's important to note that this is a simplified narrative that we inherit, not the complete story. And its effect is that it often obscures the diversity or the differences of any historical period. And this was definitely a period that knew different accounts. So part of the way a particular version of history becomes popular is in the way it's retold across time as well. So King Alfred... Edward the Elder and King Athelstan, that is the son of Edward the Elder, played a prominent role in 19th century and 20th century politics and its retellings of history. This can be another reason why we see the West Saxon account becoming predominant, um, certainly to a modern imagination. Now, these stories were retold as part of an effort to create a national narrative underpinning a particular version of British history. Now, Athelflaed may not have played as prominent a role in these, but we need to not forget that she does appear in numerous histories, prose and poetic texts, stained glass depictions, sculptures, reaching from the 18th through to the 20th centuries. And then, as mentioned already, she also is playing a significant role in 21st century reimaginings of the early medieval past. And each of these retellings do give us a different representation of Athelflaed. Because with these multiple interpretations, we remember that we can tell the story differently, um, and not only of Athelflaed, but also of women um,
3: and of England. Now, I'd like to ask you about something that we mentioned earlier. How did Athelflaed come to be known as the mother of the English? Yeah, to answer that, I would I would love it if we could take a trip together to Tamworth, um, because
4: there we'd see one statue of Athelflaed in the castle grounds. And it's still there. It was unveiled in 1913 um, as part of the celebration of Athelflaed's fortification of the Burr there in 913. So that was 1,000 years previously. And if we look at this statue, we see Athelflaed holding in one hand her sword, which points downward, and then the other arm is embracing a young boy who looks up to her. And this boy is her nephew, Athelstan, that's Edward's son. Now, as a boy, Athelstan was sent to the Mercian court to be fostered by Athelflad and Athelred. So presumably, this was intended to ensure that the Mercian court and people knew Athelstan and perhaps saw him as one of their own, and also that Athelstan in turn became acquainted with the Mercian people, their politics and traditions. There is quite a lot of speculation as to why this was. So was it the plan devised between Athelflad and Edward that Athelstan would eventually rule Mercia and Wessex jointly, or just Mercia even, which would require, of course, his acceptance by the Mercian people? Is this part of an expansive family strategy or was it merely an act to maintain and foster good relationships and cooperation between the two houses of Wessex and Mercia, which Athelflad maintained in her lifetime as well? In any case, Athelstan did accede to the throne of Wessex in 924 following Edward's death. And this made him, like his father and like his grandfather, King Alfred, Anglo-Saxonum Rex, king of the Anglo-Saxons. He ruled a territory that encompassed all of England south of the River Humber, including what had been the Danelaw and a once separate East Anglia. And then Athelstan also invaded the Viking Kingdom of York, So this brought the Kingdom of Northumbria under his rule, and the Danish people submitted to him, thereby fulfilling the plans laid previously by his aunt, Athelflad. Now, this victory earned Athelstan the title Rex Anglorum, King of the English. That is, the kingdoms of England united under one political rule, one king. And this was the first instance of the North peoples being ruled by a southern king. Now, this was not altogether very popular, and yet... Athelstan did manage to maintain that rule in peace for a number of years, some seven years. In this version, do we detect a strong link between Athelstan's political ambitions and Athelflaed's legacy in the north? And do we see Athelflaed's mercia and her stamp of approval of Athelstan and her influence over him at her court as the necessary gateway to his success? Basically, if we take this view of history, then Athelflaed fostered the first king of the English, hence Mother of the English. There's another statue in Tamworth, however. So, if we just walk towards the rail station at Tamworth, we see a slightly different story being told in the sculpture there. It's placed on a roundabout. Um, It's huge, it's six metres high, and it was created by the artist Luke Perry and erected in 2018. On this statue you can see Æthelflaed's name is on the sword hilt as she holds this spear which is thrust out in front of her pointing towards the town centre. It is a strong warrior pose, it's a victory pose, and she is unaccompanied here. And when I went to visit this statue for the first time I was so struck by its enormity and its materiality, this hard grey steel. It's almost a nod to two histories simultaneously – First, Tamworth's early medieval history, which it wants to remember, and also the Midlands' industrial past. The narrative that then comes to the forefront from this sculpture is that Athelflaed was a Mercian first and foremost. And Merzia had its own history and political identity. Athelflaed's female genealogy, we, we know, pointed to Mercia as her home. And under her leadership, she brought the varying tribes of Mercia together under successful rulership and made them party to her political visions for the region. We can therefore emphasize some of Athelflaed's individual achievements rather than only her achievements via West Saxon kings. Things such as the fact that Athelflaed made an alliance with the Britons and the men of Alba, that is, the Picts and the Scots. And Athelflaed was recognised as the leader of the anti Norse coalition in the north by the people of York. So, this separation of Mercia is pertinent because the unity of the kingdoms of England under Athelstan was not final. The kingdoms of Mercia and Wessex would become divided again. But under Athelstan, we do have the first glimpse of a political ruling that begins to resemble England as we know it in modern times. So which interpretation is correct? Well, both can be argued, of course, and both show us something about how the present identifies itself with the past. You know, I think it's a really good thing that we have multiple interpretations of this historical period, because then we also have
3: multiple ways of connecting with the past. Okay, now, Æthelflaed also has another name that we mentioned earlier as well. She's also known as Lady of the Mercians. Why is she a lady and not a queen? Yeah, I really like thinking about this because it's one of those points that leads us away from
4: thinking about Athelflaed's male relations to her connections with other women. Um, But just before I delve into that question, um, I do want to point out that Athelflaed is in fact referred to as a queen in non-English sources um, in the Annals of Wales and the Annals of Ulster. But her official title was Hlavdi, which can be translated as Lady. Um, And this is the title she gained when she married, Athelred, Hlavord, the Lord of the Mersians? Hlavdi is the female equivalent of the male title. It can be translated lady, which is what we see most commonly, but I've also seen it translated female Lord, which I quite like. Perhaps the question becomes, what kind of power was imbued in this title? Like, What did it mean to hold that title? Now, this is actually something that's debated among scholars we do have queens at this time. So we have queens of Wessex in the Wessexon court. But this period in the 10th and 11th centuries is often considered a kind of low point in West Saxon Queen's power for various reasons. And when we compare Athelflaed to Wessexon Queen's, Athelflaed appears to have wielded a greater degree of power and agency. So her move into Mercia perhaps could be seen as something very advantageous to her. In the Mercian register as well, we have an account of Athelflaed defending and asserting her own authority as Lady of the Mercians. Now, King Alfred had been acting overlord of the southern Welsh kingdoms, and it seems that Athelflaed and Athelred had taken on this overlordship. We don't forget that Mercia shared a border with Wales. And the reason we think this is because in 916, an abbot, Edgbert, and his companions were killed near Brecon in South Wales. And this does not sit well with Athelflaed at all. The abbot was presumably a connection of hers, possibly a representative, or at least somebody who came under Athelflaed's protection. Because three days after learning that Edgbert had been murdered, Athelflaed sends an army into Wales and storms the Welsh king's keep. She captures the Welsh Queen and takes her and over 30 members of the royal retinue hostage. So this leaves the King in Wales in a very difficult situation. Open war on Mercia? Or travel to Mercia and petition the release of the Queen under the terms set by Athelflaed? So certainly the Welsh king was reminded here of Athelflaed's power and the strength that she commanded. But this may also have equated to a public resubmission of the southern Welsh king to English overlordship recognised in the person of Athelflaed. What we see in this account is Athelflaed acting as a pretty tough negotiator, one ready to defend and reinstate her authority should it ever be challenged. These acts do seem to distinguish Athelflaed in the historical sources from England around this time. The Lady of the Mercians had a lot of power, was able to command numerous people. But interestingly, when we look across to the continent at Western European queens in the late 10th and 11th centuries, we do encounter queens acting in a not dissimilar way to Athelflaed. And just a few examples of this, we have the Italian Engelberger, a reported concubine of Louis II. She commanded armies and was entrusted with political negotiations, and she did her fair share of hostage-taking as well. Another example, Emma, princess of France, who became the wife of King Raoul of Burgundy, also in the 10th century. She had the management of estates and of great armies, and she seems to have acted independently of her own volition in many accounts. And there are there are more examples besides this. in other words, women's involvement in diplomacy and war in these that we see in continental sources is not altogether surprising or even rare. Perhaps we might infer Athelflad was acting exactly as one would expect a woman in her position to act at that time, given her rank and later even more so when she was widowed. but That does not mean that every account of women acting in these positions of power were favourable ones and nor was every account of a man in position of power a favourable one either. Perhaps then it is particularly to Athelflaed's credit that we have so many favourable reports of her, not only of those emanating from within Mercia but also in accounts from Wales and Ireland. There is one other aspect of this lady question that I'd like to touch upon, because it looks at a different aspect of Athelflaed's responsibilities as a leader. And this is really something I learned from Debbie Bannum um, in her contributions to our collection of essays. The etymology of the Old English term hlavdi, translated lady, is in fact bread kneader. So the first element, hlav, means bread, and it's where we get our modern term loaf. And then the Old English term, hlavord, lord, means literally bread guardian. Now, this does not mean that Athelflaed, our lady of the loaf, was kneading her own bread. The literal etymology of the term is likely far removed from its usage in the 10th century. And yet, the term's etymology does alert us to another facet of Athelflaed's role as leader, which would have involved the nourishment and nurture of her people. Athelflaed, we can see her as being the overseer, perhaps in the broadest sense, of food production, which would have been operating at all levels of society from agricultural work through production, trade, transportation to armies and technological advancements such as the establishment of water mills. And we know from sources that women had a vital role to play in this. Bread production, beekeeping, beer making, these were all tasks that were women's work in the 10th century. And for me, this is a reminder that the Lady of the Mercians would have had multiple responsibilities in order to be a successful leader. She must have been a great mobiliser of people, of men and women at different levels of society. And again, taking that one step further... It does make me start to wonder again about the kind of connections and networks that Athelflaed had that really enabled her to achieve what she did on such a large scale. There's a little side note to this, if I might be permitted a little footnote. An interesting account, and one that I actually find quite moving, is the Mercian Register tells us the story of Athelflaed's reign and frames this with two accounts of women. So the watershed moment of this history is the passing of Athelflaed's mother. And then towards the end of the account, the history records how Alfwyn became the next lady of the Mercians after her mother. So it makes me think that the Mercian Register is almost telling a story in which the skills of Athelflaed's successful leadership which brought the Merzian people together and enabled Merzia to enjoy a period of considerable prosperity. These were passed down from mother to daughter along a female line, and that's the way it's remembered to us by this account.
3: With all this in mind, what exactly would you like listeners to take away? What do you want them to know about Aethelflaed and her life and legacy? I think it's really important for me that listeners
4: adopt a critical awareness of what we are celebrating in Athelflaed's legacy. And that means multiple opportunities for reimagining Athelflaed and rethinking what she means to the present moment. And that must include the terms of leadership. I want us to think about Athelflaed's relationship with people. So as a leader, her relationship with other women, and then also with people within and across her borders, people of of diverse political, cultural and racial backgrounds. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that we need to portray Athelflaed as an ideal, but I do think her example in history can make us reassess how we define successful leadership. I also think that Athelflaed offers us a reminder... Um, to think very differently about the wide range of roles held by women in society at this time. So, we have female leaders. We also have female educators, scribes, negotiators. We have witches and deviants. Um, we have women working in um, food production and trade, as mentioned. And so, I think that flood also reminds us not to give in to these easy stereotypes about the early medieval period that women had little power or agency or little opportunity, and. For me, the third thing that I think we can take away, and I don't mean to do a cop-out with this, but that is the invitation to the listener, is to find more interesting things about Athelflaed and more opportunities um, to connect with her and with this time in history. And I think that a really good conversation about Athelflaed has done its work when it inspires the people present to tell the story in a different way and to investigate further those very
0: possibilities of retelling. That was Rebecca Hardy, early medievalist at the Free University of Berlin and the editor of an upcoming essay collection, Ethel Fled, Lady of the Mercians and Women in 10th Century England. Thanks for listening to the History Extra podcast. This podcast was produced by Brittany Colley.
1: A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep.